Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people. And you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. What's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about this link. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzola here with Sam Monson. We're recapping all things preseason week two. Sam, you ready to go? Or the uh, the best preseason week, as I like to call it. This is the best one. No. Okay. It is fun though when you get week three out of four. Well, it's funny when you get this is the game. This I think is the game generally that is treated with the most disdain and contempt by the NFL teams. You know, like there was a I retweeted a a sort of pre-game list of the I can't remember how 25 49ers that weren't going to be playing in this game, something like that. Like there are teams out there who are like. Nobody's playing in this game. Nobody. I used to like the old flow of you got four preseason games. You, you, you got like a series for the starters in week one. You amp it up, you know, ramp it up a little bit in week two. Week three is the dress rehearsal. They used to call it the dress rehearsal week. Yeah. Play through the half. Mm-hmm. Maybe into the second half. Like learn what it feels like to come out of halftime. Starters. Then you sit out week four. You know, yeah. maybe say, see a series again. Right. You just now it's just like stay healthy, which is fine. But you also do get the. I mean, I'm waiting for this to happen. Baltimore won, right? They, of course. So Yeah, so they're up to 22 straight? Or was that 21? I don't know. I'm losing track, but I know it's better than uh, Miami. Yeah. And so, uh, they need to write a book about this. I'm thing. waiting for some team to just get sick of that and go, we are playing the starters all game <laughs> just to stop this win streak. Just slow down the Ravens. Because everybody's getting fed up with Baltimore just winning every game in the preseason. Ravens but, preseason train here. But it does mean that you get these games sometimes in week two where – one team is playing none of the starters and you know some select backups are playing either and the other team is actually running the starters for like the majority of the first quarter yeah. and it's literally first string against second string for half the game yeah josh allen and the bills going up against broncos backups this yeah week. yeah exactly and you're like yeah i mean okay <laughs> i think this it was already a challenge to get anything of substance out of preseason performances you're muddying the waters even further when you're saying now you're going up literally against backups all right well we will have some reactions and overreactions to this weekend's action but first the charity drive yeah we are up to 1350 dollars. we had another five bucks come in since the last time i thought that was the number 
Um, my pin tweet at PFF underscore Sam or the description of the podcast. We are raising money for a group called Needs Inc. Um, they help provide uh, the money for people to afford service dogs who desperately need them because apparently service dogs are insanely expensive. $17,000 at a minimum to buy the dog and 40000 to train the dog. So you are out a staggering sum of cash if you need a service dog, and most people don't have that kind of money. So Needs Inc. steps into the breach and helps uh, pay for those costs. When we raise our goal, when we hit our goal, we're going to find out if I can pitch a baseball 60 miles an hour. Yeah. Which I will. Oh, yeah. I'm not even going to debate you. I'm mm-hmm. just going to. Just going to let you go. I'm looking forward to seeing it, though. We appreciate everybody that's already donated, those who are considering it. Um, I, I should have invited you. I didn't know what the protocol was, but I did make my major, major league debut <laughs> I, I saw on Friday. I saw bits and pieces. You saw bits and pieces. Yeah. Yeah. I you was, were, it was one of those like home run derby style things where there's somebody like lobbing you a ball from behind a fence thing. No, he was in front. He was pitching. It was former Reds pitcher, Tom Browning. Oh, maybe I just saw the batting. Was that batting practice? They put they the saw? batting cage up there so you know foul. You don't want foul balls going into the stands and everything. Oh, okay. It's a, it was a controlled environment, but we played a nine-inning <laughs> game. Me and a whole bunch of other PNC clients. Shout out! Shout out to PNC Bank. Did you? Were you obviously the best player, or did you blend in with the PNC banking crowd? There was a couple youngins who probably play in like a local softball league who were hitting the ball pretty well. Oh dear! But I was clearly the best. Okay. You know? All right. That's okay. I didn't get any hits, though, because I just kept trying to jack bombs. I was just trying to hit home runs. And it was like slow-pitch softball. Everybody would just back up and catch it. Huh. Um, You weren't able to, you know, ding one out of the park? No. That's a bomb. I mean, I've I've lost some power through that. I I came close. (laughs) I came close-ish. Closer than anyone else. Okay. I wasn't getting the backspin I needed. I was kind of top spinning it, hit some line drives right down the line. I mean, hit the ball hard. Okay. Hitting some line drives down the line that would just foul. Um, and then uh, I don't want to get into it too much. We gotta, <laughs> but so they, you know, they block off certain areas of the field, right? So when you hit the ball in the air, you're supposed to think too. You're supposed to think. You're supposed to get wide to get the angle to run around first base to get the second base. So I'm over yeah. there just instincts taking over. <laughs> but there was rope blocking that angle. Like they wanted you going up the baseline. They don't want you tearing up the grass. Okay. On Great America, this is on Great American Ballpark, where the Reds play. And you, you would, you tear up some grass. So the rope is right there. We'll call it. We'll say rope. And I'm just, I'm looking at the ball, and I'm just, you know, instinctively running wide. And I almost tripped over the rope. I had to like leapfrog it into the area you're not supposed to be oh, as perfect. I was trying to take my wide turn. It's a pretty athletic move. I see. Um, um, but we I, lost. We lost pretty bad. 19 to four. My team lost. This guy wow. at third base had no range. I hope he doesn't listen. This guy had no range. I had to play third base starting the fourth inning. Okay. Um, Sorry. I okay. sent. I sent you a video of part of it. I think I sent Tyler a video of the whole thing. Did you see Jake Paul trying to do baseball things? Yeah, atrocious. That's what I'm trying to tell so, you. But, so, it's not easy. But there was both. He, he, he pitched, and he also hit. Yeah. I would go out on a limb and say I can do both better than him. Again, I, I think you underrate how no, difficult see, it is. No, see, this is the thing. I'm coming to the conclusion that there's a giant swathe of people that just can't do these things. Like, you watch him... Th- Throw a baseball. And you're like, that's pitiful. Honestly, I don't need I don't need to hear you anymore. Same with tell, the, me, tell me what you can do. I just want to see it. I just want to raise the money and I want to see you throw the ball. But this was the same with the hitting thing, right? Like initially it's it was like, oh, I'm gonna get murdered by your pitching. You know, we're gonna see if I can like make contact with one. And then we're doing the batting practice thing, and it's like, you know, hit, hit. It's it's not that hard. Now it might be hard if the guy is firing ninety five down at you, you but fouled you fouled a few pitches off and hit a pop up. 
to the pitcher's mound. Right, which was way more than the, like, random snick of con- contact we were hoping to get at one point. I'm just saying, this stuff, this, this, you know, when you're, when you're talking about, like, m- just reaching a level of, like, can you do this and not embarrass yourself, that's not that hard. I can't wait to see it. All right, we're going to get into all the preseason action. But if you haven't heard by now, Underdog Fantasy is the best and easiest place to play fantasy football this summer. We've all been there in fantasy football leagues. It's Sunday morning. You're digging through the news reports on the interwebs, trying to figure out whether to start your stud wide receiver who tweaked his hamstring last week or have a player on your team who hasn't been getting in the end zone. And then one week, he suddenly goes off for 30 points on your bench. With Underdog Fantasy, all the stress of who to start each week is lifted off your shoulders because it's best ball format draft your teams before the season starts and get the best score in your lineup each week right now you can draft an underdog's best ball mania three tournament and take your shot at 10 million dollars in total prizes plus underdog will double your first deposit up to 100 when you sign up with the promo code pff if you play 10 of those dollars using promo code pff you get a free pff subscription underdog drafts close just before nfl kickoff so what are you waiting for head to underdogfantasy.com or the app store play ten dollars with code pff and draft your best ball mania team today all right sam i want to go around the league and uh recap some of the rookies right we got another week in the books we have falcons jets here tonight for monday night football or do you want to start with the uh, the misinformation that was floating around the internet as well? Let's start with that then. All right, let's start with the misinterfa- uh, misinformation. Warren Sharp has gone viral. Warren Sharp on Twitter going viral, calling a uh, a backside cutoff block that happens about ten times a game, calling it dirty, just because, as uh, our friend Mike Renner said, Kayvon Thibodeau, Giants rookie, took it on with his MCL now instead look. of you know the way you're supposed to young michael has deleted that tweet because he's got a policy of not dunking on people this year so let's oh. not let's not draw attention to the fact that he already violated his own policy um to be fair explain so explain what happened really quickly explain the the play i mean look it's, it's an inside zone backside cutoff with the with the h-back man it happens all the time yeah and the tight end went a little bit too low uh Thibodeau attacked the block the wrong way and it ended up with the it was a Thaddeus Moss um essentially chucking himself into Thibodeau's knee yeah. right which you know doesn't look good but there's nothing actually wrong with it like it's it's not an illegal block um forget so, illegal it's not uncommon well either the but, technique was weird but it's not uncommon well yes but it's also not illegal which is uh, something a lot of people were whinging about and to be fair it wasn't just Warren Sharp. Now, Warren Sharp might have been the only one cynically doing it for tweets, but Rich Eisen tweeted, uh, penalty, period, hefty fine, period, suspension, period, nothing less is acceptable, period. Um, no, that's also wrong, Rich. Well, exactly. So, and, you know, Rex Chapman replies to that with word. Uh, like, it, it was Yo, not... It was Rex not, doesn't know what he's talking about, so... It? It was not an uncommon reaction to that play uh, because it looked bad. But as you said, it's a perfectly common standard, in fact, play and block that is legal and was simply, it was badly executed, I think, probably by both sides. I think Moss ended up going a little bit lower than he would have wanted to go. Thibodeau, like Thibodeau, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? not reacted to challenged the block played the block what took on yes took on the block incorrectly and consequently his leg was in a place where it shouldn't usually be when you watch anybody else do that there's a ton of plays the other leg is coming backwards to avoid you know the guy's shoulder it's being thrown through it so essentially you know Thibodeau unfortunately ends up with an injury that 
thankfully doesn't appear to be too serious. Yeah, I hope it's not serious. I want to see Thibodeau play. But it is part, unfortunate. In part, it was kind of his own fault. Yeah. I mean, you're, you are taught to take on cut blocks, right? And this is why I distinguish between illegal and common, right? Illegal implies, oh, you know, you don't see this. Like when people are defending it by, you know, you don't see this all the time, but it's legal. You know, it's within the rules. You stretched it a little bit, but it's within the rule books. This is a common block. This is a backside, the defensive end on the backside of a zone play should be expecting someone to to pull backside and take him out. Also, since I'm, you know, being fair to everybody, uh, Rich, fine journalist that he is, has retweeted some of the reaction to of people saying, no, Rich, that's, you know, it's a good... Marshall Newhouse, former offensive lineman, people... This is literally a routine play, a routine block, and a routine defensive technique happening here. Inside the tackle box, the defender is facing him. It's just a bad-looking result. Yeah. So, you know, it, it doesn't look good, but it, 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 happens, it happens every game. Just most of the time it doesn't result in the defensive end getting injured. Yeah, so that's it. Anyway, Warren, take down your tweet. Went viral. My, the thing that, that – I mean, that's how misinformation spreads, Sam. He puts this thing out there, and then half of the people respond and say, well, of course that's illegal. Yeah, I'll find them. I mean, everybody just responds emotionally because it looked bad, and they're all wrong. They're all wrong. <laughs> that's, how, that's how misinformation spreads. Where's Twitter when that thing comes up? Pull that thing down immediately. Uh, oh, okay. Just saying. This is serious stuff. People need to know the rules of football. If you're going to watch it, if you're going to have millions of people watching every Sunday, they need to know the rules. They need Sense to know what the backside of inside zone looks like. Yeah. With a tight end sifting backside on the defensive end. That's what they need to know. So, yeah, perfectly fine block. Ugly result. I like. Good job, Marshall. Yeah. Like well, he, Marshall. And he wasn't alone. Jeff Schwartz, I think, was in there. Uh, Duke, Manyweather said it. I, there was a bunch yeah. of people. The, people. the people you would expect. I stand I mean? with O-line Twitter. Exactly. I stand with O-line Twitter. Exactly. Just, you know, Warren Sharp bringing us all together here hmm. with, his, uh, with his nonsense. Anyway, so that was it. Uh, let's go to the other let's go to the other Kenny Pickett man let's just go to the quarterbacks let's go through the rookie quarterbacks Kenny Pickett looked good again yes he looked good again he, he had himself. a negated touchdown then a real touchdown zipping it around I'm not gonna overreact though I'm not doing it I did and it with Zach Wilson last year yeah he got the two minute uh the two minute work you know got a chance to sort of do the same things that he was doing in the first game but in a real situation as opposed to contrived you know quick short passing um, yeah, look, I, where I would think it's a little bit different from Zach Wilson last year is that I think it looks like Pittsburgh are very deliberately giving Pickett a game plan that is questioning whether he can do the one thing that I had the biggest question about, which is can you speed up your process and look like you can operate at a, at a pace that is viable at the NFL level? Um, because if you can, if you're going to go out there and it's going to be three and a half seconds of play, so if he was going to look like that, it would look a bit like Malik Willis right now, which is, you know, fine. But like, so Malik Willis goes out there, <laughs> looks like Malik Willis. And this is one of those situations where it worked out looking like Malik Willis. He made a bunch of plays, but you're like, but that, I mean, you can't play like that. You know what Plus, I mean? Plus, I saw him in person this week yeah. at joint practices, too. Just yeah. saying, that, that changes my perception. But even during the there. game, you know, Charles Davis was on the call, and he's like, now, Ryan Tannehill is the unquestioned starter here. Let's not get carried away. That's not even on, on the cards. But, you know, Malik Willis is doing some nice things here. And, you know, and Charles is one of those guys that always skews positive as well. But even he is sort of saying, hey, 
remember, like, there's no chance this guy plays, particularly playing like this. If Pickett was going out there and spending three and a half seconds every time he drops back trying to make something happen, that's what it would be like. And you, you can't really play at this level playing like that unless there's literally no other option available to the team. So the Steelers are going out there and saying, well, prove to me you're not going to do that. Go out there, get rid of the ball quickly, use your first read if necessary every time, and just prove to us that you can operate at a much quicker level because that's our big concern. We're actually not concerned with your athleticism and your ability to extend plays and your arm and whether you can read defenses and all those kinds of things. We're actually pretty comfortable with that. What we don't know is if you can, be, you can do it all quickly enough to just to even get the position in the first place. So now we've seen him do it the first game and the second game. And okay, we're still in really limited sample size stuff. But this, this has been a performance that says, if we have to turn to pick it after a week, all right. Like, I didn't think, I didn't think Pickett was going to sort of win himself the starting job. And I thought that Trubisky at some point, you know, four or five weeks was going to play his way to the bench. I think that time scale is now potentially shorter because of what we've seen from Pickett. I, I, that's my takeaway, too. I mean, I think, I think we see him sooner rather than later, Kenny Pickett. Uh, I'm just, as far as defining what he is and determining what he is, we just got to pump the brakes on all that stuff. I don't even, you know, with Kenny Pickett, not that anybody's like putting him into the Hall of Fame or anything. Be excited. I mean, Pittsburgh fans should be excited. Um, I just always like the, um, when it's tweeted out here, the preseason hype reminder, what Daniel Jones, reminder what Daniel Jones did as a rookie. We had analysts, Dano, who were apologizing to him. People who doubted Daniel Jones during the draft process, like Dan Orlovsky, apologizing to Daniel Jones because he was tearing it up in preseason. Statistically, by the way, not, not necessarily from a grading standpoint, but statistically. Daniel Jones in the preseason, in his rookie season, went 29 for 34. That's five incompletions. That's pretty good. Imagine this as a game. 29 for 34 for 416, two touchdowns, no picks, 137 passer rating. Had some big-time throws. He actually got the name Danny Dimes. That's when Danny Dimes showed up. That's 2019 when preseason. Was born. That's when it was born. That's when he was born. Preseason. <laughs> Granted, he's got one preseason big-time throw since then, and he's ranked in the bottom three in the league over the last couple of years. But that was the preseason hype. Daniel Jones, five incompletions, two touchdowns, 12 yards per attempt. The dude was going to be unstoppable. But, you know, he's been a pretty good NFL quarterback so far. Has in, in, I mean – if there's 64 NFL quarterbacks, okay. we'll say he's been a pretty good NFL quarterback. He's Daniel Jones been a below average starter. That's yes. what he's been. So just, you know, pump the brakes on it. Zach Wilson. I was, I was jumping through the roof. I was ready to watch Zach Wilson be the top rookie last year. You know, mm. maybe Trevor Lawrence is going to overtake him at some point, but I was ready for Zach Wilson and he looked completely lost for yeah, the majority I mean, of last year. I think overall the takeaway for preseason should be there are very, very few players in, in for whom you are completely changing what you think about them entirely, you know? Romeo Dobbs is probably one of those players. We're already, you know, we talked before about the, the Dak Prescotts of the world, those guys where it, it's clear immediately that everybody just got it wrong. You know, Dak Prescott comes in, training camp preseason, it's immediately obvious that he shouldn't have been a fourth-round pick. Right. That we just screwed that up. Everybody, the league. The league, every draft analyst, anyone that didn't think that Dak Prescott was a first-round draft pick at the time, at draft time, was just wrong. And it was almost immediately obvious that that was the case. 
I think there are generally very, very few players for whom that is true. But every, like, and but Romeo Dobbs might be one of them, where immediately, as soon as training camp starts, oh wow, this Romeo Dobbs guy looks pretty good. And every step of the way, it's like, hey, we this guy should not have been a fir- uh, fourth rounder. He's going to be legit. Now, again, it, it's it's early. Maybe that will prove not to be the case as well. But that should be seen as the exception rather than the rule, even for impressive preseason performers. Um, what I think you can do is slightly change the overall narrative or the or a specific narrative. So with Kenny Pickett, it shouldn't be completely changing what you think about Kenny Pickett. You know, you shouldn't be immediately looking at these first couple of preseason games going, oh, wow, forget what we thought. This is Kenny Pickett's as good as any quarterback we've seen come into the draft for the last, you know, five years. He's every bit the legit prospect these guys were. It's like, no, like what we're seeing now is, okay, maybe he's still not a great quarterback prospect, but the thing that we were concerned about, the speed of his process it looks really good like maybe let's just tap the brakes yeah. on that maybe that's not going to be a huge problem i still even with what we're seeing now i wouldn't expect him to go out there if he starts as a rookie and post like a ben roethlisberger fastest average time to throw in the nfl i still expect him to be one of the slower quarterbacks in the league on average but now i'm no longer thinking it's going to be three and a half seconds a play and you know complete it's going to be the reason that he can't function so Average 1.91. I mean, it's it's almost like uh, Kenny's been listening to our show. He's like, I'll show them. But I honestly think the Steelers are Steelers. out there saying, show that you can do this. Yeah. You know, or at least maybe they're not even telling him. Maybe they're just saying, okay, let's see if he can do this because this is the thing that's going to hold him back. Either way, it's impressive. And look, maybe maybe the Steelers are just good at developing and teaching and all that stuff. And I, I, Does Mitchell Trubisky... I know you sent me that play. I was watching that live too, where Trubisky, you know, scrambled out and should have been sacked three times, and yeah. then threw it up, and it almost got caught, but it also also almost got intercepted. It was like, yeah, that was that was impressive. <laughs> but Trubisky looks half decent too, out there. I, I I think the Steelers, if if we're honest, based off Big Ben's performance last year and the grade that we gave him in the fifties, they should be better. They there's a chance they're they're better at quarterback, right? Even though Mitchell, if you said on paper, is Trubisky better than Ben Roethlisberger? No, but Trubisky's full seasons have been better than the full season that Big Ben put together last year. And Kenny Pickett, if he graded in the 60s as a rookie, okay, that's not crazy. Steelers probably better at quarterback this year than last year without the Big Ben limitations of really you don't want him. He he can't move. Mm. He's got to get rid of the ball. He's got to get he's got to protect the offensive line. Steelers might have a decent offense compared to last year, where it was really painful, you know, fourth and ten checkdowns and stuff like that. Yeah. It was painful to watch. That Browns game on Monday Night Football where neither team could move the ball that essentially vaulted the Steelers into the playoffs, there were some painful offensive performances last year from the Steelers. I think they might be better now with, with your boy George Pickens and all that stuff, the additions that they've made in Pittsburgh. That's where I think my takeaway is with not just Pickett, but also Trubisky, a little bit of Rudolph through these these first two games. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, I, I just think that Pickett is now showing that he is an option going into this season, which I didn't think yeah. was necessarily going to be the case. Uh, Malik Willis finishes, uh, you know, under 50% completions and, you know, has a nice touchdown pass where he sat in the pocket. Now, that was the one time, like, when on the touchdown pass from Malik Willis, Tennessee Titans quarterback, sits in the pocket, had all day mm. to sit in the pocket. And it was good. It was almost like they said – Stay there, right? Stay in the pocket. Not well, that he did it. Every that's absolutely time. what they've been telling him. Yeah. Like Mike, Mike Vrabel has been reported as 
they, they benched him from the last game because he wasn't doing that. Right. And it's funny. You're watching this game, and it's like every time Malik Willis makes a play, you know, a Malik Willis play of, like, running around, doing some, extending the play, doing something crazy, it's like they it sort of cut to Mike Vrabel on the sideline. She's, like, looking mad at it. Like, Vrabel is sort of watching this going, all I want you to do is stand in the damn pocket, work through your progression, and fire the ball to somebody. Stop whatever you're doing. I don't care if it's working out. I don't care if it's going well. I don't care if you're gaining yardage. Just do, you know, just do the quarterback thing. And I, I don't know. I'm kind of wondering, like, who did Vrabel think he was drafting? Like, it's well, not like this is new. This isn't surprising. This is who Malik well, he's Willis is. He's not acting surprised. He's acting like a coach. He's training him, right? That's what you do. You train him up. I mean, maybe, but at some point, it feels like you should have been expecting this, you know? Yeah, but you can still expect it and, uh, and encourage ways to, to get better and to train it. Um, clearly, Willis is working a little bit. So he had over, he's still overhead. Oh, he still had a lot of words here. Still had over four seconds per play, four seconds per drop back for Malik Willis, start to finish. So would you like to know what his average time to throw was on plays that went beyond his first read? I don't know, six? Close, (laughs) 5.8 seconds, 5.8 seconds. Now, this is where it gets awkward, particularly for Mike Rabel, is on those plays, he went four for six, had a touchdown and three first downs. So every time he did that, essentially, every time he extended the play, it worked. But it's just, you know, Vrabel's out there going, come on, just, just stand in the pocket, would you? Stand in the pocket, just work through, you know, like, come on. But it, it's not who he is. It's not who he is right now. It might never be who he is. Yeah, so I was at, uh, I was at joint practice, yes, of course. I, I, so I, you I know, got, uh, you always have to have takeaways coming mm-hmm. out of that. Titans, I uh, got to see Malik Willis close up. Uh, where I was in the... Um, the access I had was a little limited, so I was really only seeing the Titans' offense. Okay. The Bucks' offense were on the, and the Titans' defense well, was sorry, on the far field. Brady was gone, so it didn't matter. It didn't matter. He's back now, though. I wasn't. Is he back? Today. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I didn't want to report on anything there. All I know is um, my sources tell me they were not concerned whatsoever. They said there's a lot of noise on the outside, but we feel pretty good on the inside, much like they've been saying the entire time. Yeah. But maybe he, is, maybe he did still go to the Masked Singer like the – Theory went. Maybe. I mean, who cares? I, 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 I've been saying this before. I don't understand why this has taken this long and potentially a, like a retirement and a previous engagement for this to be like an offered thing to certain veterans who don't honestly need to be in training. Yeah, camp. Well, I mean, we still don't know why. Right. But but, supposedly it was planned. But and, who cares? Like, for, yeah. I don't even care what the reason is at this point. It, there are a lot of players that reach a certain stage in their NFL careers and they want no freaking part of training camp. Because if you're, a, if you're a millionaire, you know, who's used to a certain standard of luxury with a family and all these kinds of things, you don't want to go decamp to some college dorm for a month doing pointless reps. Most of them aren't in dorms. That don't anymore. do you any good. But a lot of them are not in, like, fun places. They're not, they're not in your mansion that you paid for with your own hard-earned money, you know, and has your family there. So... The Michael Strahan's of the world are the perfect example. That guy reached the end of his career and had like a yearly, you know, game of chicken trying to avoid training camp. It's like, why did the Giants not just say, you know what, you're Michael Strahan. I'm reasonably confident when we get to game, when we get to week one, you're going to be good to go. Forget about it. 
show up week one and we're happy. There was a video out there of LT, the original LT, Lawrence Taylor, right? And somebody was asking him about, you know, oh, we got to ask you about this story where you almost missed the game. And LT, like, launches into the story. It turns out it was a completely different... You told us on the last show. Right. But my point being, the team was comfortable if LT made it to the game before halftime. Not, like, training camp. There should be a whole bunch of players in the league where the league is like, you know what? You should be the we, player rep. We don't need you here in training camp. You're a superstar. You are the least area of concern on this roster. I don't give a crap if you arrive during this training camp. Just show up for week one in shape and we're all happy. Like, why is this a... Who cares when Tom Brady is there or not? I mean, I think quarterbacks, it's a little bit different because you have, you know, you have a Julio Jones or a Kyle Rudolph coming in and, you know, they want, you know, it's about reps and timing and stuff. I get it for like a defensive end or whatever it is. But for the quarterback, especially a Brady, who's always, you know, he's not over there playing Call of Duty like other quarterbacks and, you know, being told to, to study four Kyler, hours a week. Kyler was out there calling plays. Kyler yesterday. was out there calling plays, leading touchdown drives, I know. But uh, it's about timing and getting a feel and, and you know, these guys rep it out all off season, right? Exactly. I mean, That's why they don't need to be there for maybe a couple it's weeks fine. training camp. Maybe it's fine. But uh, it's also, by the so way, Brady's back. once you get to the regular season, it's not like they're not practicing. Like there's time for Brady and Julio to figure out when he's going to run his dig route. It's not, you know, it's not that hard. Anyway, my overreaction to uh, Titans Bucks joint practice is that I think that I feel not so great about the Titans passing game on paper going into the season. But I think my overreaction is maybe they'll be better than I thought. So they did they did a pretty good job of uh, creating some some deep um, some deep opportunities behind the defense against the Bucks. Maybe the Bucks are going to give up a lot of deep, you know, deep completions as well this year. We'll see. But I think the Titans' passing offense might be pretty good. So I got to see Malik Willis close up. He just needs a lot of reps, man. He just needs a lot of reps. Mm. He is a special runner. Um, but even in the game, in game action against the Bucs, it didn't always work, right? You know, he'd break out and, you know, get, in, get into space and all that stuff, get tackled short of the sticks or tackled for two yards. It doesn't work every single time. You need to keep that... You need to keep the rushing ability kind of like in your back pocket for when you need it. And then Willis can be the guy that goes, you know, 10 carries, 90 yards in a game. But it does make sense to get Malik Willis to hone the rest, the rest of his game. So, you know, he's got to work. He's got to work quicker through his, through his uh, progressions and everything. But um, in, in person, whether it matters or not, I think Nick Westbrook-Akina as a second receiver to go with Robert Woods. Traylon Burks got hurt when I was there. He had a nice play behind the defense. I think Westbrook Aquina is going to be the guy while Traylon Burks is, you know, getting into the offense and all that stuff. Kyle Phillips could be a decent slot option, the rookie out of UCLA. I don't think they're going to be as bad as I thought they were. That's all I'm saying, pass game-wise. Tannehill's been throwing the ball really well the last couple of years. So I think they have an opportunity. My question is going to be on that. The offensive line for the Titans, left guard, right tackle, big question marks. They don't have – I mean, Dylan Radun's the guy that – second rounder last year mm. is not earning the job no. both in practice or in games so no. i mean he's in a competition with uh nicholas petit frere and at this point third round rookie ohio yeah. state <clears throat> and at this point it's it's if you're doing it on merit based off what we've seen in games it's kind of hard to see raiden's winning that job you know maybe i maybe practice is going the exact opposite way but raiden's looks bad um also the um 
was talking to someone from the Titans who said Derrick Henry finally filled out in his lower body. He's like the what? The, I mean that the guy that is an absolute freak, 252 pounds. He's like he looks. He was a little thicker in his lower body. He looks a little stronger after coming off his uh, injury. Maybe Derrick Henry's better, bigger and better than ever. Who has ever looked at Derrick Henry and been like, man, if only he had, if only he had quadzilla thighs. That's not, that's not the point. It's that he's he's more stout now. He does have quadzilla thighs. He's more stout. Gentlemen, all, all men strive for gold in their life, right? Gold medals, gold watches, gold everything. However, there's a certain type of man who goes the extra mile, walks with the confidence of an eagle, and giggles in the face of danger. He's a big, hairless, winning machine, and when he unzips his pants, he sees platinum. That's right, Manscaped would like to introduce you to their biggest and best ultimate hygiene bundle yet, the Platinum Package 4.0. Manscaped is the leader in below-the-waist grooming. Now you can trust them with the whole shebang. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF. Manscaped's brand new Platinum Package 4.0 is the biggest bundle they've ever offered, giving you a bulk discount on Manscaped's top products. So you get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF. It's manscaped.com. 20% off with free shipping over at manscaped.com. Use the code PFF. It's time you enjoy the finer things in life and get yourself a Platinum Package for your Platinum Package. Other rookie quarterback news, Matt Corral, Liz Frank injury. Hmm. He's the uh, lowest grade. He's got the lowest passing grade in the NFL during the preseason here. He has not looked great, but then he also hurt his foot. He's out for the season. Yeah, um, which honestly for him might be the best thing because uh, now they can shut him down. They can put him on IR. He gets a red shirt for the year. They the Panthers, ba- they're going to roll with Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold, yeah. I assume. They don't have to carry him on the active roster. Like It's just it's it's win-win, I think, for everybody other than the fact that his foot's hurt. Um, Desmond Ritter's going to play tonight. You have uh, Sam Howell, I thought, had some more ups and downs. Still another yeah. guy I think is working, working a little slow. Got to speed up his process. The, late to stuff. One of the things you said before is that you know playing well in preseason doesn't necessarily mean much. Playing badly in preseason usually means a lot more, and Corral just didn't look up to it at this point. Now, Corral, like Sam Howell, is coming from an offense that has about as large a departure as you're going to find between college and the NFL and what he's going to be asked to do at this level. Honestly, Willis. Too, I mean, Willis has a lot of yeah, yeah. adjusting and to those do are, as well. And those are yeah. three guys that have that right now look a long way away from just the the fundamentals you're going to need as an NFL quarterback. Now, Malik Willis might have the most upside to be able to offset that, you know, with all the stuff he's doing. Like, all of it is making Vrabel mad, but it works, you know? So there's there's something to that. That's like, what's intriguing, right? As he, as he improves these other parts of his game, Malik Willis has... Yeah, and if he was in a there. situation where, you know, if he'd gone to a team at the top of the draft that had no alternatives... You might roll with that and say, all right, it's going to drive the coach insane, but it, it can function. Like, we can, you can win and play with a quarterback playing this style. It's just at some point you're going to need him to develop and, you know, expand what he does. But now the Titans don't need it because they have Ryan Tannehill and he's just not going to start for the foreseeable. But, yeah, the, the three guys that, that played in an offense with the largest departure from the NFL are the three guys that look that way. Um, and Corral in particular, looks the furthest away. Uh, so now he doesn't have to worry about that. There's no, like, you know, people were saying, oh, there's there's maybe there's a way that Corral plays late in the season if, you know, everything else is going to... No. He was saying that. People were saying it. It was reported. Insiders. Insiders were saying You're it. an outsider. You were saying it. I wasn't saying it. Well, maybe I was. Yeah, you were. 
Okay. Well, like a couple weeks ago, man. I know you're getting old and all that stuff, but just a couple weeks ago, like, yeah, Matt Corral's going to be playing the last five games and the Panthers are out of oh, the playoffs. That was my bold prediction, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, just bold. Yeah. Which is basically a guess. Yeah. Guessing prediction. Anyway, he clearly didn't look capable of that based off what we've seen so far in preseason. So now they get to shut him down and he just gets to concentrate on what he can do in, in the future, which I think is good for everybody there. So it looks like Kenny of the rookies, Kenny Pickard, and again, we'll see Desmond Ritter again tonight. Ritter's, Ritter's bad plays. I think we're less process and timing oriented. It was just late and bad. Um, <laughs> a near pick six that got... Um, late and bad. Yeah, just that got negated. Ritter and Pickett have been the best from a speed and processing standpoint, I think, among the rookies so far. Yeah. The other rookies getting some hype who played pretty well. Brock Purdy with the 49ers. I haven't watched him closely enough to comment, but it's not, you know, again, I'm getting this secondhand information where the fans are saying that the announcers are saying and the media is saying he's as good as Jimmy Garoppolo, which probably isn't the case, but he's Mr. Irrelevant, had a pretty nice career at Iowa State. So you got Brock Purdy, you have Skylar Thompson mm. from the Miami Dolphins, who is the highest graded quarterback this weekend of any QB. Um, and then Bailey Zappi, who's uh, going to, you know, who's Thick fighting. Case Keenum? Thick Case Keenum's looking pretty good for the New England Patriots. <laughs> fighting Brian Hoyer for uh, for a backup job there. So, so Skylar Thompson and Vellis Jones are interesting to me this year because they're similar players in terms of they're both old rookies. Um, and this is a year where there's a lot of old rookies because it was the COVID year that gave a lot of guys an extra season in college. And at the time... It was like, oh, we give these guys an extra year. You know, COVID caused all kinds of chaos, lost seasons for a lot of people. But then we fast-forwarded a year, and it's like everybody forgot that was a thing, and we just hold it against them the way we hold it against all old rookies. You know, generally speaking, in, in the sort of previous decades, having to, you know, needing that last year in college is like an indication of something wrong with you as a player. Like, why couldn't you break out at 19? Why did you have to wait until you were 21 and you were older than all these other guys and more physically developed? You needed the physical advantage to be able to win. That's a red flag because in the NFL, you're not going to have that. Everybody's a physical freak. And it was sort of used as a stick to beat prospects with. But like you can't, you can't sort of give them a free year because of COVID and then charge them for it later. It's sort of, you know. I've so, got, look, for receivers, there's a pretty good history of like earlier is better age-wise. Of course. But, but again, it's like you can't, you can't sort of, I don't, it feels like a bait and switch. You can't be like, well, have an extra That's year not. because COVID hit everybody and we lost the seasons. And then, oh, look at this freak. Why did he need a five-year college career to be any good? It's not that, though, necessarily. It's when you're watching a guy play. Um, it doesn't mean that every 23-year-old is going to be bad, right? I mean, I, I've been down this rabbit hole recently of when do guys when do guys break out? And it's like edge defenders, overall, edge defenders and receivers, it's better if they break out earlier. If you, if you see something at 20 or 21 years old. However, Khalil Mack got drafted at 23. Calvin Ridley got drafted at 23 plus. They're both really good, right? They're both really, it doesn't mean there's not exceptions here. But when you're watching college film and a guy is 23 or 22, almost 23, his senior year, you just have to acknowledge that he's going up against 19-year-olds yeah, a lot well, of the time. It's even more fun for these two because they're 25. Yeah, I know. They're, they're saying it's like you're talking about grown men going up against still developing men, right? Yeah. I mean, that, there, there's a difference. So you just have to say, if you're going to say this guy had great stats, this guy had great performance, you have to adjust performance for age. I, I think the overrated part of the age is like, oh, he's got no upside. And so it's not necessarily that. 
It's that you can't be like, wow, this guy's incredible and not acknowledge he's three years older than everyone else. That type of thing. Yeah. So Vellis Jones, born May the 11th, 1997, 25 years old. Anyway, my point being that we've a lot of pre-draft talk on both these guys was how old they were and, and the negative that that is and how much you have to discount their player, whatever it is. It was used as a, a reason not to draft them high or not to buy into them as prospects. And so far, both these guys will look pretty handy. Vellis Jones was making some nice returns to the Bears. Uh, Scarlett Thompson was out there balling with the backups. Um, Eric Galco was talking about how he could put himself in a position for the backup job in Miami, which... I like I like Galco, but he, he's the... He's, oh, he's, 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 he's Shrine guy. Yeah, yeah, hype man for the Shrine guys. Yeah. I mean, Jim Nagy hypes up the Senior Bowl, mm -hmm. and Eric Galco hypes up the Shrine Bowl guys. I will say, I think the Shrine Bowl's got a lot of good players that came out of there this year. Oh, yeah. And, and speed, you know, guys like Tyquan Thornton and their speed. As and, good as Skylar Thompson has been, their backup is Teddy Bridgewater. Like, Yeah, he's not, he's not taking Teddy Bridgewater's <laughs> job. Not unless something traumatic happens. Like, that would be quite the, that would be quite the statement. Particularly... You know, as much as Miami it sounds like they're buying into Tua, and blah, like we don't know what Tua is. Like if Tua stinks this year, you might need the backup, and it probably doesn't want to be Skylar Thompson. Yeah, Teddy, if you're having to turn to him when we. Teddy's seven. one of the best backups in the league. Yes. So I would not, I would not go that far yet. That being said, Teddy, you know, fifty percent completion versus Skylar Thompson's seventy-six percent. Well, so, there you, you know. go, sold. Um, I've got some other takeaways just running around various spots here. The Thanks. Houston Texans. This isn't rookies, but the Houston Texans. My overreaction to their preseason, they might have a feisty little defensive line. Defensive line. Defensive line. Defense okay. in general, right? So you, you've got Lovey Smith there who always gets, oh, he plays cover two all the time. Not necessarily. Uh, Derek Stingley played football the other day. Some yes. good. He ma made a nice play. Got beaten another time. Um, they might be feisty on defense. Obo Okoronkwo has been awesome. Rushing the passer, he gave Trevor Penning, the rookie tackle from the Saints, absolute fits in week one. Yeah. Oboe was a guy that a good player. was very good at Oklahoma. Um, always had really good pass rushing grades. Limited time injuries with the Rams. Never really, uh, never really broke out. Could be a nice breakout player for the Texans. Former Patriots, what, second rounder? Derek Rivers, all of a sudden, maybe healthy and rushing the passer pretty well. And then Jonathan Grenard over there, Grenard. So, second best pass rushing grade during the preseason among teams, Houston Texans. Um, I don't know if they'll be good anywhere else. Just saying they could be a feisty little pass rushing unit based off of the two preseason games I've seen. Yes, one of which was against the Rams, who treat preseason with okay. the most contempt of any team in the NFL. There isn't a Rams starter anywhere near the field in preseason. Like... Look, I mean, just <laughs> look at the players that they played against Houston. You know? It's, right. it's kind of a... It's, John Wolford was under heat the other day. Yeah, John Wolford being under heat because of the backup offensive line in there along with the backup receivers and the backup running backs and the backup everything else. Let me overreact, please. Yeah. Let the, me overreact. Obo, Obo's breakout year. This, it's happening right now. My favorite thing about that was, you know, in preseason is where a lot of broadcasts start playing around with things as well. And they were interviewing Sean McVay during the game, like live, not, you know, in a break, but like as game, as things are happening, as plays are going on, McVay has got the headset on. And during that, you know, somebody fumbled the ball and McVay's like losing his mind, you know, that he's stuck on, he's stuck in an interview with these guys. It's like, you guys are like, ah! 
It was pretty funny. He was like, I can't, you guys are making me, like, I can't deal with this. I gotta, <laughs> gotta go choose somebody out for fumbling the ball. You know, it was pretty funny. I like that. I think it just should be instituted during the, uh, you know, during the regular season. Let's just co-op the coach during a really important moment of the game and see what his thoughts are. Yeah, Mr. Belichick, what do you think about the, uh, the fumble <laughs> that you just, your running back just had? Yeah, we definitely need that. That would, that would be awesome. And, uh, Major League All-Star Game did a really good job this year of miking up players yeah. while they were pitching and everything. Like they had done it with outfielders before who were just like, oh, I'm just standing here. If the ball gets hit to me, great. But like pitchers, they're talking about what they're going to throw and all this stuff. It was pretty cool. So there's like, when you look at sports around the world, there's a broad spectrum of how intrusive the media and the broadcast can be. You know, on the one end of the scale, you've got like, the English Premier League soccer, where you get like a quick interview at the end of the game, you know, in front of a, an ad, in front of a advertising hoarding, like a sponsor thing, right? And the guy comes out, he gives you 30 seconds of crap, and then he leaves. That's it. That's your access. Done. The end. Uh, and you, you don't hear from officials, you know, and none of this stuff. So that's, it's all closeted away. You get almost no access whatsoever. At the other end of the scale, the Australians are at the the cutting the bleeding edge of like pioneering intrusive media they will be they started that crap of interviewing people during games where you would have not just you would have backup players you would have like coaches the act again like the actual head coach while stuff is going on there's not a break in play we're just talking to him during this three minute stretch where anything could be going on and they're just like chat hey, what do you think you know hey, they, they've been pretty good right now you know you're down by eight how are you feeling? Like, they've also been the one that had the they had the cameras in the dressing rooms, you know, like watching team talks and stuff. Like mm. they will, and then they would also the second the game is over, they would run up and like throw a microphone in a, in a player's face as he's like walking off and start interviewing. Be like, wow, that guy just got his ass kicked by thirty points, and you're asking him like, well, you know, tell us about how your day went. How do you feel? Yeah. So, you know, I'm just saying that the Australians are really pioneering that, like, how to, how to get the media right in there, you know? And if the NFL wants to go down that route, that's, that's, the, that's where you got to go look. you got to go look yeah. at the Australians. The NFL probably doesn't need it a ton, but it would be entertaining. I mean, it, sometimes. You know, who, who's, to de, who's to determine what, what a need is? I'm I just saying, if McVeigh was on the mic every week, that would enhance the product. Eric Azuka. Uh, Azukanma from uh, Miami Dolphins. You kind of liked him around the draft time, right? Yeah. Texas I, Tech wide receiver. There's so many He's good wide well. receivers every year now in college that I think you're going to find, you know, these guys every year where they can play. You know, whether it's him, whether it's Velas Jones, whether it's Romeo Dobbs, there's always these guys now in the mid-rounds where you like them, you know, from their tape and they come in and they look like they can – be a factor at the NFL level. Maybe they can't be, you know, an elite number one wide receiver, although Dobbs might be, but they can play. It makes the wide receiver team building strategy really fascinating, right? I mean, with with quarterbacks, it's it's clear cut, right? Do whatever you want, do whatever you can to find a top eight quarterback, and if you don't have one, keep looking. Seems like it's pretty straightforward. You just you just need one. With receivers, we could say, you know, our numbers say, hey, it's the second most valuable position on the football field behind quarterback. It's also dependent on quarterback a little bit. We've seen the value of Devontae Adams and Tyree Kill and A.J. Brown, the three guys who just got traded this offseason. And we've seen the market go crazy and catch up 
maybe to our take that it's the second most valuable position at the same time there's starting to become a surplus because of how college is playing right you're gonna have three and four wide receivers in a lot of um just in a lot of offenses in college so what's the best strategy if there's a surplus of receivers but you know having good ones is extremely valuable so you know you have to have good receivers but does that mean you go and pay for them do you pay for the certainty or because it's also a volume driven position tactically and strategically you want to have four or five do you just draft three so every single year and just continue to stock up and you get them at on their uh, rookie contract deals we, how do you how do you attack it? Yeah, we've had some emails come in that ask something you know similar to that, or sort of receiver looks like it's becoming like running back, where you can get a you can get a running back anywhere. Like, you, why would you ever draft a guy in the first round when you can grab any running back in the fourth, and it's the same? Um, NFL podcast at pff.com if you want to email us in anything, questions, whatever. Uh, so we had people asking that. I think where it becomes. Because receivers are starting to look like that now, where you can get receivers all throughout the draft. There's so many every single year. The strike rate is really good. It's starting to look like, why would you ever take a receiver high? But I think the difference is, you know, even in this world of running back by committee, it doesn't receiver you still really need that elite number one superstar guy, or you don't really need him, but it helps a lot. So Jamar Chase being the perfect example. Chase comes in and immediately not just transforms the Bengals' offense generally, but makes life easier for T. Higgins, for Tyler Boyd, for everybody. And what he's able to do, you know, had a completely transformative effect because he's got that elite number one special skill set that can win from everywhere. I think Devontae Adams has a pretty good chance of doing that for the Raiders. I think A.J. Brown has a pretty good chance of doing that for Philadelphia now and was doing it for Tennessee even before he got traded. So... There's a, there's a big difference in finding that guy wherever you're able to find him. Even if you're able to get, you know, the, the two through five in the receiving core anywhere and have almost no investment into that guy, I think there's still a lot of value in finding that number one. And Philadelphia might end up being the perfect case study for this because, okay, forget the fact that Devontae Smith hasn't necessarily become the receiver yet that they thought when they were drafting him in the first, but they're about to have almost no resources tied up monetarily in receivers two through five or six. Right. And then have a ton of money thrown at A.J. Brown. And with that, they're going to end up with this potentially amazing receiving group that that generally doesn't have a lot of money in it. You know? That's where I'm wondering if that's... I, I like the path you're going down because I think where we can say, hey, receiver's the second most valuable position behind quarterbacks. The problem is my guy Corey Davis or Christian Kirk the problem is when you have your number two wide receiver those are the guys where I think paying 10 to 15 million dollars for those guys not for the high like the high high end number twos who are borderline number ones Keenan Allen Mike Williams like paying 20 million dollars for Keenan Allen's and Mike Williams those guys are 1a 1b type of receivers I think once you get in that 10 to 15 million dollar range or more for a number two type of receiver Corey Davis, Christian Kirk, even Michael Gallup. I mean, Michael Gallup I like at $10 million, but that's probably the cutoff where there's a fair discussion of what if we draft two or three of these guys every year? You, you stumble into one Romeo Dobbs, right? You stumble into one guy. Because Dobbs, my overreaction, he could be Michael Gallup like in year one. He could be Michael Gallup-esque in yeah. year one for the Green Bay Packers at a fraction of the price. But that imagine how good Romeo Dobbs looks 
if you still have Devontae Adams? Because that's oh, yeah. that's the issue, right? You need Dobbs to kind of replace Devontae Adams' production, whereas the Packers last year we were saying they need a guy to take pressure off of Devontae Adams, where yeah. if they had a Romeo Dobbs projecting him, that was that that could have been the difference in them making a little Super Bowl run there. It's the problem with distilling every sort of shred of football information down into this like cookie cutter um you know simple paint by numbers type of explanation generally wide receiver is the second most valuable position in the nfl but it isn't as simple as that it doesn't mean that every wide receiver is more valuable than the corresponding other position corner pass rusher whatever it is it means that the very elite wide receivers are the second most valuable players in the nfl you know, quarterbacks are number one by a mile. They're off in their own little world. But after that, if it's like when you're doing these fantasy drafts, you know, you get your quarterback, and then what, what do you go for next? Well, the next thing you want is the best wide receiver in the NFL because that guy is the second most valuable player in the, NFL, in, in the league. So those guys, I think, are more valuable than the best corners, than the best pass rushers, than, you know, those things. But you run out of those guys reasonably quickly. Right. And there's a bunch of them. Like there's a bunch of elite number one superstars. But after but you get beyond that quite quickly and then I think the dynamic starts to change. And in particular with wide receiver, we talk about that like it's one position, but it isn't. There's five guys on the roster. There's probably three positions on the roster between your number one X receiver, your Z, your slot guy. And that's before you get into the idea of well there's different types of slot and there's you know, tight ends are effectively playing just wide receiver as well. We're talking probably about four or five different positions, and they don't all have that. Well, they're they're all the second most valuable. No, they're, because they're not. Like a good a high end slot receiver is a good player, but he's probably not more valuable than you know the best pass rusher you can find or the best corner. You know, the best number one corner you can find. So well, you wouldn't take uh, Golden Tate over Miles Garrett, then, huh? No. Okay. Um, That's not how you're supposed to read war numbers and uh, interpret them? I don't believe so. So that's, I think, instructive when you're looking at this and saying, all right, we know the wide receiver is really valuable. We're starting to find out that it's quite easy to find them. So why, you know, teams should start playing the wide receiver position like running backs and never draft them in the first round. I think what we're saying, or what I would take from the information right now, is... If I think there's a Jamar Chase in the draft and I'm in position to get him, I'm still 100% fine with, take, with spending a top five draft pick on a special wide receiver talent. Or I'm also fine with paying a Tyree Kill, a Jamar Chase, a Justin Jefferson, whoever it is, I'm fine with paying that guy elite wide receiver money. I'm fine with dropping $25, $30 million a season on somebody I, <clears throat> somebody I know is a guaranteed superstar. But the next positions two through five or six on my depth chart, that's where I'm playing that game. I'm going, I'm throwing a ton of mid-round draft picks at wide receivers and trying to assemble a dirt cheap group of guys that can play. That's Yeah, I do wonder if the wide receiver two and three market is what gets affected by this. The best best scenario for me is still to have a, you know, what the Bucs have, what the Cowboys had. I think, you know, two true number ones. I think that's still the best scenario, but if you can't, if, if you don't have access to the second number one, maybe it is like, hey, don't don't overpay for a two, don't overpay for a three, 
build through the draft because that's where the surplus is coming in. Because like if you went and just, okay, you've got to cherry pick the successes, obviously, but just to give you a kind of indication of what you could achieve, you know, if you had your guaranteed superstar number one wide receiver and then you flooded like a bunch of draft picks in the mid round somewhere, you know, even just looking last year, if your group of two through five wide receivers was in Amonra St. Brown, um, you know, if you got Romeo Dobbs this year, if you got uh, Cup, Nico Collins looks like he might be, you know, a really impressive player heading into year two. Like there's a ton of these guys you could have snagged in the mid rounds that are able to come in and be good right away. I was going to say something. Yeah. College football's back. Yeah. It's time to enjoy the tradition, the fun, and the great offers from DraftKings Sportsbook. It's the best segue we've ever had. To celebrate the best time of year, right now, every customer, new customers, can bet just $5 on any team and get $200 in free bets instantly, win or lose. That's new customers only. If that's not enough action, you can also place a same-game parlay for a shot and an even bigger payout. Just combine multiple bets into one, like which team will get the win, which team will score first, and more that's always good when you got a you have a really good team they're probably going to score first you got them to win you combine them get that same game parlay going DraftKings is safe secure and reliable best of all you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want so download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now use promo code PFF bet just five dollars on college football and get two hundred dollars in free bets instantly that's code PFF only at DraftKings Sportsbook 21 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for terms and resources. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Tennessee. Call or text the Tennessee red line 1-800-889-9789 in New York. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. One per customer. Minimum $5 deposit and wager. $200 issued as eight $25 bets. I thought we consolidated this whole thing into one... Uh, 1-800-GAMBLER number. Can we get Tennessee and New York on board here, please? I mean, look, this is the problem with your uh, your your whole country. You know, the states' rights kind of deal is you go and they, they have their own gambling numbers. I mean, I, I agree. Right I agree with it. the states' rights. And then they can change it and you can't do anything about it. I stand with the states' rights, but not when it comes to, like, we could we can federalize numbers. one gambling number. Can't do it. You know? It's overreach. I feel like we could do that. Can't have it. Can't have that kind of federal overreach. That might be the one place I'll let the federal government intrude is the uh, one gambling number gambling that will numbers. consolidate my I, I mean I'm all for, for I'm all for any federal overreach that makes my life easier. Basically. Yeah? Yeah. Like if you could cut twenty seconds. If you cut twenty seconds off that read, I could talk more about DraftKings maybe, Sportsbook and how good this deal is. Maybe that's how I'll, if I run for government, that'll be my platform. Everything I do, all of my policies will make your life easier. That's what you do. All of them. Yeah. Everything I want to do, make your life your life easier. You steal the uh, the easy button. Vote for me. Sam. I mean, you can't because I'm not I'm not an American citizen, so I can't run for government. But when I do, soon you're on your way though. Yeah, yeah. When I do, that's that'll be my platform. You can steal the easy button from Staples. That'll be like your, yeah. Just put your face on the easy button. All of my policies make your life better. Make your life better. Vote for Sam. Yeah. There's no lies told here. <laughs> Everything I do will make everyone's life better because yeah. everyone's got the same expectation. Yeah, that, that'll definitely work. Mm-hmm. How about Isaiah Likely? Yeah. Ravens fourth-round tight end absolutely tearing it up. Just unstoppable last night against the Arizona Cardinals. It's not just game hype, though. It's been practice hype. I mean, he's making great plays at practice all the time. This might change projections for the Ravens. You know, yep. we're, we're spending the whole offseason talking about the receiving core and they traded Marquise Brown and all that stuff. And they, 
they made a calculated risk, Sam. I mean, Marquise Brown, he's not a bad wide receiver. He's not, a, he's not the number one wide receiver we're talking about. He's exactly the type of receiver, actually, that I'm saying, I don't want to pay him $20 million a year. Mm-hmm. I probably don't want to pay him $15 million a year. And the Ravens made a calculated decision to trade him, get a first-round pick in return. And having a tight end like Isaiah Likely step up the way he has in training camp in the preseason and maybe become the best one-two punch at tight end in the entire NFL, Mark Andrews and Isaiah Likely. This is huge for the Ravens, who have so many questions as far as what their pass game is going to look like. Each of whom was drafted in the fourth round, right? Uh, Andrews was in the third. Third, okay. Yes. Um, both both model guys, by the way. The, uh, the draft model, <laughs> high on both. They were, they, well, they were in the, the do draft column. I mean, the, the do draft column. The yeah. draft grades were high on Isaiah Likely as well. Um, his profile, actually, in college is, is pretty spectacular. He got better every single year. His grade went from 79 in his first season as a receiver up to 82 to 90 to 93. I mean, that's a steady progression, all of which is in the right area and heading into elite status. His numbers are pretty crazy. Um it's why did we miss on why did everybody miss on him probably assuming we did i mean this is you know preseason week two you just don't he's just not an all-around you know blocker and all that who stuff. cares no i'm just saying it's that's 2022 that's probably why i don't care if my tight end can block anymore yeah he's been a particularly by the way in baltimore it's you know again a lot of this is always where the guy lands if you land in a good situation it it tends to hide your weaknesses and enhance the strengths. And Baltimore is a particularly good spot to land for a tight end that doesn't necessarily do one aspect of the job well because they don't need him to. Yeah. So that'll help. No, I think they're gonna they're gonna use him just fine. I think he'll be I think he's gonna be a baller. He looked really good. I think him and Andrews, that's gonna be the key to that offense. It's a lot of pressure to put on a rookie tight end. That's the only thing the the other thing I'll say. Maybe it doesn't show up every single week here in year one but he's he's a he's the number two option at tight end that's a that's also a, it, they're not relying on him to be mm. the starter which i think is is excellent you know andrew showed last last year it didn't matter who the quarterback was he was fantastic by the way tyler huntley's 30 for 33 this preseason throwing the uh, preseason stats out there tyler huntley. dimes yeah tyler dimes um continues to tear it up but mark andrews didn't matter if tyler huntley was out there or josh johnson was out there Mark Andrews was great. Isaiah likely can move him around and uh, probably handle some of that receiver depth that they don't have. Yeah. Uh, he. So I, I'm really impressed by not just – I mean, obviously he's, he's been a really good receiver so far through a couple of preseason games. But it's, it's the completeness of his receiving performance that's impressing me. He is obviously really good after the catch. You know, as soon as the ball's in his hands, he's able to make moves. He's able to break through tackles, gain yards after the catch. He seems to have really good hands, period. I mean, and his college numbers back that up. The guy had one drop last year in college. Uh, For his entire career, he had nine off like 170 targets. Um, He seems to have a really good feel for just coverage. And that's a big thing, you know, as as a young player, just to understand space and where defenders are and how to slide into that gap a little bit and give your quarterback a window to hit space. But I also think him and Mark Andrews complement each other really well because of the sort of extra dynamism that likely brings to the table. You know, Andrews is a guy that can just run routes, get open, has great hands, can make spectacular catches. Likely is the guy that can operate in some tighter spaces, get the ball in his hands, and give him some run after the catch room. 
they both target sort of slightly different areas of the field, which again is a huge thing when you're trying to replace a missing element to this offense that's been traded away or just doesn't exist in the receiving core. Do you have any other rookies you wanted to highlight? I know your guy uh, Drake Jackson played well for the 49ers, Mm -hmm. the edge rusher. He looked good in like the couple of snaps before he got hurt in week one, and I was like, oh, man. Uh, And then week two, yeah, he showed up. That's another one of those picks where, to me, preseason is all about reinforcing your prior takes. So anything that backs up what I've already been saying, huge fan of. Uh, So Drake Jackson, if the 49ers have actually found a legit pass rusher, you know, where they were picking at the start of this draft, it's an insane, just not stroke of luck, because I don't want to, you know, put it down entirely to just randomness, but it's a hell of a result for them if Drake Jackson turns out to be a guy that can influence the quarterback opposite Nick Bosa, who's just tearing people to bits so far. Yes, that would be quite the addition for the Niners I mean they're still getting hyped up as far as their their preseason defense expectations Drake Jackson um, just so explosive twitchy quick uh, good workout that projects to the NFL you know that's I think that's the big thing it's not just being a good athlete but workouts that project to the NFL Jake Drake Jackson had that coming out of USC Um, among the other rookies to stand out uh, by the way I want to look at Receiving grade, here's just really, here's a number on Isaiah Likely. Receiving grade against all tight ends since 2015 who have gone on to play in the NFL. So like when they're in college, what's their receiving grade Only guy, against only guys who have gone on to play in the NFL? Isaiah Likely is number one. His career receiving grade, number one out of 126 NFL caliber tight ends. Receiving grade against single coverage, number two. I mean, everything he's done is been really really good so um so really we have to blame mike for not being high enough on him yeah i saw daniel jeremiah you know tweet out he had him in the 40s something like that he's like man i wish i had him higher it was like that's what you do in the preseason oh i liked him but you know you know not enough and all that stuff is there anything more annoying for because you know everybody gets draft takes wrong is there anything more annoying than the one where you did like a guy and for some reason you know convince yourself out of putting him as high as you should have yeah like george kittle was one of those guys for us right at the start really like george kittle graded really well but it was a really small sample size you know never got the workload it's like ah man if i had the draft model at the time it would have would have loved it it would have gotten it so i I tried to do that with uh, elijah molden a couple years ago where i was like i'm just gonna stick to my guns i'm just gonna call him a top 32 player that was just my feeling not the model just my feelings you might watching him and everything titans slot slash safety we'll see I so could let be, me easily could be wrong but i tried to like say no this guy's going to be a top 32 player in the draft let me read you renner's pros and cons from the draft guide renner projected him as a sixth rounder uh pros advanced route runner sets up defenders with the stems still seems to hold runs routes outside regularly bridges the gap between tight end and receiver move tight end essentially we're seeing that as well speed to easily outrun linebackers he even ran away from safeties at times Again, we're seeing that. Gets the ball in his hands. The dude is toasting people. Cons, not the size of an NFL tight end. Won't get respected in the run game, I would argue. Who cares? Uh, Even when he's in line, likely was used almost exclusively as a second-level blocker. You don't want him blocking defensive linemen in the trenches. Again, C.1. Who gives a crap? And the last con, a lot of scheme production in unique Coastal Carolina offense. So that is probably the... The kind of biggest legitimate question mark in terms of a draft projection is okay grades are really good 
production's really good, but how much did that offense help achieve that, and is that going to exist at the next level? Yeah, likely is interesting with... Um doesn't have long arms, didn't actually run fast. Our combine score, though, because I see the YouTube chat talking about it, our combine score kind of takes all of those numbers and projects it to actual on-field performance. It doesn't say, is this guy a good athlete? I know there's, there's things out there that say, is this guy a good athlete? Yes or no, which I think is valuable. It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting data point. We take our data points, though, and just project it to performance and say, this combination of measurables, will it project a good performance or not? And Isaiah likely with his good vertical, good broad, below average arm length, below average 40 time, knowing his height and weight, all that stuff, it's, a, it's an above average. It's a good workout, good measurables for Isaiah likely, even though there are some that look bad. So to me, that's a slightly better way of doing it rather than just saying, is this guy a good athlete or not? It's does it project? at the next level and isaiah likely did have that all right man anything else that you want to uh to call out here in uh, the preseason so the seattle offensive tackles are both playing well at least in terms of pass protection which i think is pretty... charles cross had like four penalties three or four penalties the other night yeah that was not great no um so you got charles cross at left tackle abe lucas at right tackle mm. i think you know, like one of the mini storylines of the entire season here. If Seattle was a contender, you would say, this is this is a big risk. They had Dwayne Brown last year. They had Brandon Shell, Both good, solid starting tackles. They're trying to replace both. Because I think Seattle's in rebuild mode, they're rebuilding with two starting offensive tackles. You know, if they were, if they were contending, you'd say, wow. If they had Russ back, you'd say, wow, this is a big risk. Two new starting tackles. It's still a big risk, you know, as far as winning games this year. But so far, so good. Charles Cross has looked mostly as advertised as far as pass pro goes. Really good at mirroring and um, just looked like the best pure pass protector in the draft last year. Abe Lucas, both guys coming out of the air raid system, right? Mike Leach, either recruited by Mike Leach or played in Mike Leach's system in Charles Cross's uh, case. So that's always a tough projection well, at the next level. Yeah. So, But it's been so far pretty good for both players. Let's talk about rookie offensive tackles generally so far through, in, through preseason because I think there's been an interesting mix of performances. Um, Charles Cross, I think, looks reasonably good. Looks like a first-round talent. It's been better pass protection than the other stuff, but decent. Abe Lucas, I think, is the really important find for Seattle because – you know, if, if they're going to get back to anywhere respectable, they need to start having some good drafts. And if they've managed to find a starting right tackle in addition to the guy you would assume is going to be their starting left tackle given the draft capital expended on him, you know, Lucas was a third-round pick. If, if they find a good quality starting right tackle in the third round, that is golden. Um, and then there's also, you know, we liked Abe Lucas at the time. There's another couple of those guys where everybody kind of liked them in the mid-rounds that look good immediately so green bay zach drafted tom. zach tom out of wake forest uh and green bay has this absurd they you know the way the steelers seem to be able to just pick a wide receiver anywhere and the guy's good green bay seems to be able to do that with offensive linemen randomly and so zach tom the 140th overall selection he's played left and right tackle so far in two preseason games and his grades across the board in every facet are good like 75 he could probably plus. play guard if they want, if they he, need him, he could to. play maybe anywhere on that the, offensive line. The, Again, that if they seems like to find the, a guy in that, the fourth. That's what the Packers seem to be doing, right? They have a whole bunch of guys that could play anywhere along the line. Elkin, Elkin Jenkins is mm. like the once they slot him in, all the other pieces will fall around him. But they have other guys that have that 
that have that flexibility. So, you know, some of those mid-round guys showing up really well, and then the other end of the scale, um, you know, Iki Iquanu's looked good as a run blocker. I know the Panthers posted a highlight clip of him just racing somebody. Right before he gave up a sack. Yeah, but the pass protection hasn't been nearly as good, and Matt Rule has sort of talked about how you know, he's, he's kind of a way away from being where we need him to be as a, a pass-protecting starting left tackle. That's a big deal for Carolina. You know, as much as you sort of applaud the decision to take the offensive lineman at the top of the draft rather than reach for a quarterback, and I think you reinforce that decision later by trading for Baker Mayfield, like that could unravel pretty quickly if the left tackle is a problem. Kawano so far with a 62 run-blocking grade, but 38 pass blocking grade this season uh charles cross as you mentioned far better as a pass protector so he's gone the other way as far as his splits go evan neal's been pretty much middle of the pack the giants first rounder what has definitely shown some issues and is reworking his um his sets you know yep. in a way remember when they remember when they first drafted andrew thomas and we had andrew thomas as the number one tackle in that draft at the time which even in hindsight is wrong you know tristan Wirfs has been way better even the sort of optimistic projection of andrew thomas but immediately the giants set about reworking andrew thomas's pass sets you know like so okay we're going to struggle for a while until this is where it needs to get to it feels like that's a similar thing that's happening with evan neal right now is we're going to see some growing pains until he works out his technique and gets that where it's going to be in the future in the NFL and I I think that's what we're seeing in in preseason so far is there's some good there's some bad a lot of the bad seems to be just centered around that those technique uh, changes Uh, I mean the key with tackles as rookies by the way Abraham Lucas who you mentioned Abe Abraham fourth among all rookies in uh, in overall grade so that looks like he could be a potential steal there expectations for rookies at tackle should be pretty low um even first rounders you just don't have a you don't have a whole lot of players who come in and are really good right away last year Panay Sewell Rashawn Slater year before that Tristan Wirfs um other guys figure it out in years three four five whatever it might be um so it could be I I always thought this class whether it is Cross Evan Neal uh or Iki Iquanu all of those guys had things to work out I, I wasn't necessarily expecting those guys to be great right away but they were potential type of players um so yeah i'm always always interested in seeing the offensive linemen in in preseason just to see how they fit in a lot of the size speed positions or athleticism driven positions which is almost everybody in football but it's it's just good to see how they handle it right how do you handle speed as a blocker how how fast do you look on the field that's what i'm always looking for in the preseason and a bunch of these guys are looking like Hey, sometimes they get overwhelmed. Other times it's like, hey, I can understand why these guys are looked at as future good players. And then the other player we mentioned earlier uh, is Nicholas Petit-Frere, who may very well end up winning a starting job based off his preseason performance. The Titans' right tackle spot is is pretty interesting, right? Because that's where Jack Conklin was for years. He walked. They tried to... um, draft Isaiah Wilson as the and he played three snaps on kneel downs didn't really have a replacement David Questenberry had a good year as a run blocker last year still gave up over 10 sacks but the right tackle spot for the Titans it's kind of been a revolving door but they've still run the ball extremely well pass protection has been a major issue over the last few years so you drafted Dylan Radons I think to be more of a right tackle than a guard he hasn't been good at either spot Hmm. and now 
like I said earlier in the show, right tackle still a major question mark. Will Petit Freer be the guy going forward? Looks like he is right now. Um, but for a team that was the number one seed playoff uh, aspirations, it's a question mark there. And then the starting left guard spot replacing Roger Saffold. Okay. Have you got any more big picture takeaways from what we've seen so far in preseason? Because I got one. Well, we talked about the Eagles on the PFF NFL Daily today. Asked about them going to the Super Bowl. Brought that, you know, the hype train either up or down. Go listen to see where we landed. What else do you have? Uh, the Raiders offensive line could be as bad as it looked like it might be. And if it is, that's, <laughs> that's the thing that derails their season. Yeah. Um, all the focus has been on Alex Leatherwood so far, but kind of lost in, in that was Andre James had a pass blocking grade of 4.7, you know? Um, it's not good. No, it's not. It's not, it's not good at all. They, I, they just don't look good. Alex Leatherwood at tackle, I don't think is viable. Like given what we saw last year, he led the NFL in pressures last year, despite after what was it? Four weeks, they went, Oh God, put him into guard. This is a catastrophe. With that change, he led the NFL in pressures given up. And guards should not be given up that much pressure. No. Um, I mean, he was genuinely catastrophic at right tackle and better at guard, but still problematic, still bad. Uh, he's gone. And then it's not even like they went, okay, this is just not going to work at tackle. Let's, let's keep him a guard. They went, no, let's, let's coach him up, put him back at tackle. Well, that's not going to fly. So either they move him back to guard or they just cut bait immediately as a guy who's who's not ready or isn't going to ever get it or whatever. But right now, Alex Leatherwood starting for this offensive line is an issue. Um, and, and it doesn't just extend to Alex Leatherwood. There are other problems on the offensive line, not least of which, if he isn't your starting right tackle, who is? I wonder if you've got – so you've got guys like Trent Brown in New England, maybe coaching staff souring on him not saying he's going to be available It'd be pretty funny if the patriots and the raiders just kept passing trent brown back and forth i know right i mean did, did, i'm just reading reports from mike reese in new england saying eh, you know trent brown and um kendrick Bourne at receiver both need to kind of step it up for the patriots and they have some depth um maybe not necessarily a tackle but certainly a receiver um i'm just saying you i, I would look around the nfl if i'm the raiders I'm not tied to any of those offensive linemen. Leatherwood is the, I mean, you've got Colton Miller at left tackle. He's become solid, but Leatherwood is the one guy where you're like, it's not my draft pick, but he shouldn't be as bad as he is. There's some investment that I would want to make there with Leatherwood. I don't see the rest of the Raiders offensive line as got to keep these guys around and see how they develop. If I'm the Raiders, I, I think there might be some linemen available cut days. Again, the Riley reefs of the world that might get released or whatever it is. I would bring them in. I would stitch it together. I know continuity is important. I know practice time is important. I know all of that's important on the offensive line, but so is blocking people. <laughs> and if the Raiders currently cannot block people, I don't care how many reps they have together. <laughs> I, I would also say that the Raiders have cap space. Like they have money to spend if they need to. Um, and there's guys still out there. Like, you know, we've, we watched last week a bunch of or a few offensive linemen get signed off the street and uh, walk into probably starting jobs or at the very minimum contingency plans for guys that are uh, potentially going to miss time. The Raiders could do that with a bunch of different spots. I mean, you look at the, the guys that are possibly available. We've talked about J.C. Treader before every time a center goes down. You know, J.C. Treader's still out there. J.C. Treader would be the second best offensive lineman for the Raiders, maybe the best. 
Um, you know, guys like Daryl Williams. Okay, Daryl Williams has had an up and down career, but he's almost certainly better than what they have at right tackle. For sure. Um, okay, Jason or Peters. Dog. You've got the left tackle. You probably don't want Jason Peters flipping to the right side. Maybe he's not your guy. But you know, there there are players out there that can come in and be capable starters for this offensive line that are available in free agency right now. Yeah, I'm trying to look through all the uh, second stringers, guys that could be could be out there. Either way, I think that's a it's a place I would look if I was the Raiders. Well, we've covered a lot of stuff. It's impossible to cover everything, but mm. we talked about a lot of stuff here from the preseason. Kenny Pickett going to the Hall of Fame for the Steelers. You heard it here first. They heard it in Pittsburgh first. Not here necessarily. Well, we appreciate everybody for tuning in. We got one more game this week and then one more week of preseason. It's about that time. I'm ready for the regular season. You ready? Yeah. And preseason, we... like my excitement's up, up, up. Get to see some stuff. And it's like, all right, I want to see you guys play full games. And then we start to dial in the uh, the third show, three BFF podcasts a week. Yeah, so we'll move in. We'll add a Wednesday show. So you'll see us Monday, Wednesday, Thursday. Uh, don't forget the daily. So we'll be up to eight total podcasts of uh, Steve and Sam mm-hmm. during the week. Uh the daily don't forget to subscribe to that pff nfl daily and then go to sam's pin tweet at pff underscore sam and um if you're so inclined to see sam throw a baseball or the description of the podcast description of the podcast we appreciate any donation small or large we've got five dollar donations coming in we've got hundred plus dollar donations coming in we appreciate them all all right we appreciate everybody that tuned in we'll see you again on thursday maybe uh we gotta get some footage from rams bengals practice we gotta try to do something will i do that i I don't know we'll try to do something (laughs) but rams and bengals the rams are coming to town we're gonna we're gonna hang out maybe get old friend zach robinson try to get some try to get some guests here throw a microphone in his face and see what zach says yeah Yeah. and then he's gonna get fired it's like no you can't talk to the media or just doesn't want to talk you might not want to talk. He's never been tremendously uh, keen on the camera. He, uses, he knows how to talk about the seam routes. He does. We did a podcast together, Zach oh. and I. It'll be like a big reunion. Yeah. All right. We'll see you guys Thursday. <laughs>